Hey, grab some scripture. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Micah. I'll give you about 10 or 15 minutes to find the book of Micah. Go to the section of scripture that you've never read before, and then that's probably where Micah is. The pages are stuck together from the factory. We're continuing in our series in the Minor Prophets, taking one Minor Prophet each per week, and we're working through them in chronological order, and not necessarily the order that they are in your scriptures. So far, we've done Jonah, uh, we've looked at Amos, we've seen Hosea, and today, Micah. A few facts about Micah as we get started. He ministered to northern and southern kingdoms. Judah and Israel. He was around the same time as Hosea and Amos and Isaiah, so contemporaries with those other prophets. And as typical with the prophets, he has much to say about corruption and sin within God's people. Any time you spend in the minor prophets, you'll see that. And here uh, are some of the things that are, make Micah unique. Um, he predicts that God's people would be conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, which did, of course, come to pass, and so he predicted that. He addresses some of the problems facing Israel and their sin, and specifically here, and these are not uh, completely uncommon to some of the other prophets as well, but here's some of what he addresses. He addresses idolatry. He addresses injustice. He addresses deception, even among the prophets. He addresses corruption, specifically among the civil and spiritual leaders of the day. Uh, he addresses division, specifically, which we'll see some of this in a second, even right down to division within families. A couple of the better known things about Micah's book. Number one, you may have heard that he includes a prophecy about the birthplace of Jesus approximately 700 years prior, which birthplace of Jesus wrong. I'm just kidding. That's right. Uh, yeah, Bethlehem uh, prophesied uh, close to 700 years. Uh, he addresses what being God's people should practically look like in this verse, probably the most memorized verse in the book of Micah. Micah chapter 6 verse 8, if you're already in Micah, uh, you can go there with me. Uh, again, probably one of the most memorized verses in Micah. I remember this was the first verse that I knew existed in Micah years ago. Uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. But for me, the most impactful portion of Micah as I prepared for this week was chapter 7. And instead of doing a walkthrough of the whole uh, minor prophet like we have done in this series, today we're going to drill a little deeper just into chapter 7. Uh, but before we get there, I want you to read a couple of verses with me that are not in the book of Micah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, if you'll turn there. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and then eventually we'll look at a verse in Psalm 103. And these two verses, I hope, will begin to frame out our time this morning, to give us a little bit of framework for where we're going to go this morning in Micah. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, here's how it reads. Come now, 
Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like what? Scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. White as snow. That's something we get, right? That's something we understand. White as snow. And you're like, my sins? White as snow? I'm not sure I can wrap my head around that. Because as I thought about the imagery of snow, I was thinking about white as snow. You mean like the white kind of snow that gets caked up under my car? Like that kind of white? Because that's kind of a dirty snow. I can identify with that. Like your sins, they'll be kind of dirty brown. Like, okay, I can get that. No, no, white as snow. And I wonder if we can wrap our heads around that, if we actually believe that. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Psalm 103. Let's go ahead and turn there for just a second. Psalm 103. As we continue thematically to kind of frame out where we're going this morning. Psalm 103, verse 12. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. It's kind of a play on words. How far is east from west? (laughs) A long way. And I don't know if you can identify with this, but maybe it seems like the guilt from my sin is always lurking around the corner. Not as far as east is from west. Maybe it seems like it's just waiting for me right around the corner underneath the carpet that I walk on, just always around. And I would ask, do you struggle with the weight of your sin, even after confessing? Do you really believe that you can be forgiven? And that's what I want to dig into, is to answer that question, do you really believe that you can be forgiven? The imagery of your transgressions being as far from you as the east is from the west, or your sins to be like scarlet initially, but then white as snow. Do you really believe that God could look at you and not see your sin? So for starters this morning, what does confession of sin really look like? That's where we're going to go. And Micah, if you turn back to Micah chapter 7, I'm going to have you guys read a little bit of scripture together, and then we'll jump in and read the rest of it together for the rest of our time. But Matthew, uh, Micah chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and here's what's going on here. As you prepare to read this with a few people around you, Micah is going to begin to lay out some of the sin that he sees among the people of God. And some of it's pretty stark. Some of it's, the imagery is pretty rich here with their failure, the failure that he sees among the people of God. And so Micah chapter 7 verses 1 through 6, read that with a few people around you and then we'll regroup. Ready, go. So those are some pretty heavy accusations, right? Uh, What you just read, verse 2, the godly has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. 
And I'm like, I've never seen that before. Hunting other people with a net, but the imagery is stark that they're trying to entrap each other, right? They're trying to trap each other. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. They do evil well, right? And the prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together, and then it talks about the best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn. And we have to see here, in a sense, Micah is grouping himself with with this as well. He's not just pointing the finger. He didn't just say there's no one righteous except me. And I wonder what Micah will say next because this is where we really begin to dig into our time this morning and as it pertains to what we do with our sin and how we confess. There's some beautiful stuff here. How we walk in confession when we're made aware of our sin. What will Micah say in light of the darkness of his land and the struggle with sin, even down to his own? Verse 7. Let's read 7, 8, and 9, and then we'll go back and work through a few of these phrases. Verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. And when we see what we just read, a few of these phrases really leap off the page. First of all, when he says, but as for me, And when I think about that phrase, as for me, he's making a distinguishment about himself versus everything and everyone he sees around me. In other words, who cares what the norm is, as for me? And I can tell you what the norm is for our culture, similar to Micah's. It's to ignore our sin. It's to minimize our sin. And it's then even that to look to ourselves for a solution. That's the norm. And Micah is saying, no normal for me, please. Something different for me. As for me, by his strength, may my my path be different. I love that he says, as for me, well, well, what's different about what he'll do? As for him, he'll look to the Lord. That's how it starts. As for him, as for Micah, All this confession will start by looking to the Lord. And in your struggle with sin, have you actually looked to the Lord? Seems so simple, but so easily overlooked. In our struggle with sin, have you actually looked to the Lord? We like to look to ourselves for solutions. We like to look for to, to books or authors or self-help. We like all of that. But have you looked to the Lord? Have you gone to Him in confession? Have you repented of your sin before Him? Have you looked to Him? Because that's how it starts. I love 
Next phrase down, I will wait for the God of my salvation. And then he says, my God will hear me. My God will hear me. He hears you this morning. And if we can even think beyond the context of confession, because some of us may be in the boat this morning of just being like, you know, even aside from confession, I'm just not even sure God hears me when I pray. I'm just not even sure in this season of life that he's listening. Can can I speak this over us? He hears you. He hears you. He's not preoccupied with something else. He's not too busy for you. He hears you. So in our confession back in the context, he hears us. God will hear our confession. He hears us when we cry out to him. Look down at verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I fall, I shall rise. And when I read that, what I hear from that is hope. It's a hopeful message. So if you're walking in a season where you've fallen in sin over and over, we read that and go, when I fall, I shall rise. There's hope in that line. I look down here, the next phrase, when I fall, I shall rise. The next line is, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And I begin this week to think about postures. Anytime we see postures in the scripture, we need to pay attention. Because the posture of sitting here, um, did anybody accidentally or haphazardly find yourself sitting down this morning in the service and you don't remember choosing to sit down? Probably not. Weird question, I know. Here's what I intend to say. Sitting is deliberate. You don't randomly find yourself sitting down and wonder how you got there. It's deliberate. You walked in, and if you didn't deliberately decide to sit down, guess what? Some of you would still be standing up, right? which would be weird. Sitting is deliberate. It's a deliberate choice to sit. We may find ourselves deliberately sitting in our sin. Deliberately choosing to sit down in sin and darkness. And if we read that, it says, when I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness... Well, what's happening while we're sitting in darkness? The Lord will be a light to me. As we're sitting in darkness, the Lord is there too, and he's holding a candle in your darkness. What crazy imagery, right? What beautiful imagery there. And as we're deliberately sitting in darkness, we could even say the darkness of our sin, as we're sitting there and the Lord is offering light. I want us to skip down kind of to the end of verse 9. It says, He will bring me out to the light. He will bring me out to the light. We don't walk ourselves out of the light. Although there are some choices we may need to make that are healthier than unhealthy, when it comes to our forgiveness, He brings us out of the darkness into the light. 
And the imagery I get, again, if we're going with posture, sitting in the darkness of our sin, and he's there with a light, and if he brings us out of the darkness into the light, what that means is some posture change, right? Number one, and we don't know exactly what was intended in the scriptures, but if I'm using my imagination, number one, if he's bringing me out of the darkness into the light, I imagine him, one, maybe picking me up, right? Bringing me out of the darkness of my sin and into the light. Other imagery that made sense in my head was him reaching his hand out while we're sitting in darkness and he's holding the light. He is the light, reaching his hand down and pulling me up into a standing position and walking me back into the light. He brings us into the light of our forgiveness. And I would ask, have you allowed him to do this in your life? It's by his power he brings us out into the light and away from the darkness of our sin. So may we see the pattern here when we're stuck in sin, when we're sitting in the darkness of our sin. Number one, we look to the Lord. Second, we trust that he is the God of our salvation as we just read. Third, we know that he hears us. That's important. Fourth, we recognize that there is light and truth in him. And fifth, we allow him to lead us out of the darkness of our sin and into the light. So simple, but if you're anything like me, just right over my head most of the time. And I want to spend a few minutes here, a few moments at least, just in confession. We talk about this, uh, like when we go through uh, a passage on prayer, it feels weird to not actually spend some time practicing prayer, right? And so I want to spend a few moments here without rushing on to the next thing to spend some moments contemplating the truth of what we've just read, the simplicity of what we've just read and spend some time in confession with the Lord. Maybe just you have Micah 7 open right there, what we just read, starting in verse 7, 8 and down through 9, some of those phrases, maybe that's your prayer to the Lord. And we practice, we operate in the truth of what we've just read. And so let's pause before him. There won't be any music playing or anybody praying out loud. It'll just be between you and the Lord to spend some time in in confession. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we confess the darkness of our sin. We confess the deliberate nature of our sin. Lord, and in these moments where you make us aware of our sin, we look to you, the God of our salvation. We trust that you are the God of our salvation. We know that you hear us as we confess and as we lay out our struggle before you. We recognize the darkness of our sin and we recognize that there is light and truth in you and you alone. I pray, Lord, that as we confess, you would, we would allow you to take us by the hand and lead us out of the darkness into the light. Lord, we thank you for moments of silence to pause before you in confession.
And at this time, we pray these things in your name. Now, as common with the prophets, there's a message of hope and restoration woven into their work woven into the story. Among the, uh, the accusations and the warnings, there's hope woven in, and it's beautiful. And so, what does God do when we confess our sin? What happens next? And this is powerful stuff. God forbid that we ever end a sermon like we just did at that place to say, that's the end, amen, we're going home. As we often say, there's more to be had here. This is powerful stuff. Micah chapter 7. Skip down to verse 18. We're going to look at Micah chapter 7 verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you? Scholars say that's a play on words even with the name Micah. But who is a God like you. It's a question. What makes our God so unique? God, what makes you so unique among all the things we could worship, among all the other gods? What makes you unique? Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. That's what makes him unique. That's what makes him a God like any other God, the way he pardons iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance or his people. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Well, what do these verses say about God and what happens upon our confession? What happens next? When it comes to how he pardons our sin, how he deals with our sin, we have to understand there is none like him. God, who is like you? It's rhetorical. The answer is none. So the first thing we see, first thing we learn about God and our confession when it comes to how he pardons our sin, how he deals with our sin, there is none like him. Second, he delights in steadfast love. And that's a word that we need to hear this morning. He delights in steadfast love. When it comes to us, God is all about a love that endures. Get this, even in the midst of our sin and our struggle. Third, He vanquishes our sin. I love any time I can work the word vanquish into a sermon. He vanquishes our sin. And the language that Micah uses that he, is that he casts it into the depths of the sea. One scholar this week I was reading called this sea the sea of forgetfulness. Into the depths of the sea of forgetfulness. When I was a kid, I remember skipping rocks on a lake and any body of water that I could find picking up a rock and seeing how far I could chunk it into the lake, right? If it's a river, uh, that's not really not the same because you can chunk it across. Or you can skip a rock across, but throwing rocks in the water as a kid. And then when I was riding this week, I was like, uh, that's still true. Nothing's changed. I love throwing rocks into water. 
And I love finding the biggest rock I can find and just seeing how far I can huck it and how big a splash I can make. There's something boyish about that, and I love it. But I remember one time picking up a rock. This is in adulthood, not in childhood. But I remember picking up a rock about baseball size on the side of a lake. And I remember thinking, when I chunk this rock as far as I can into the lake, I found it here on the shore, and I have it in my hands. But then when I chunk it into the middle of the lake, chances are incredible that no one ever touches that rock again, right? Huck it as far as I can into the bottom of a lake. And that imagery is stark when we think about what we just read, what Micah just wrote. That speaking of the Lord, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, never to be seen again, never to be held again. Jewish custom. On the first day of their new year, many Jews celebrate what's called Teshlik, and it's what we just talked about. It's the image here from Micah, where they will either use a rock or a piece of bread and walk up to the water and confess their sins and then throw the bread or the rock into the water. And especially with bread, what happens when bread hits water after a little bit? It disappears, right? It's gone. Look at Psalm 103. We're going to close with a few more verses of Scripture as we consider His forgiveness. As we consider what happens when we confess. As we consider what He does with our sin. Psalm 103. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. We just already read verse 12, so you'll hear that again. But I want us to soak this in. Hear the truth here this morning that the Lord has laid out for us. Verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. And as we think, I asked the question earlier this morning, do you believe God can forgive you? Do do you really believe that? You can say it, but do you really believe it? 1 John 1, 9. You can turn there. It's way back in the New Testament. It'll be on the screen as well. 
this may be what you need to cling to when it comes to the truth of whether he can forgive you or not. 1 John 1, nine, If we what? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you remember? White as snow. Your sins were like scarlet. White as snow. And then when we think about, well, okay, I get depths of the sea. I, I get forgiveness. But what actually happens to our sin? How, how is it erased? How is it sent to the bottom of the sea? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Turn there. This will be a familiar scripture to many of you. But it tells us what happens to our sin. It tells us how our sin is vanquished. It tells us how our sin ends up at the bottom of the sea of forgetfulness. And it's all due to Christ and His work. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin. He took our sin upon Himself. It's what He did who knew no sin, that's the purity of Christ, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. White as snow, right? It's what we read there. Christ paid the debt of our sin and our sins were vanquished, gone forever. He took them upon Himself. They were nailed to the cross and He took them with Him to the grave. Beautiful. And here in a moment when we celebrate communion, remember the things that we've read here. Let them wash over you as you eat and as you drink and to be able to say, thank you, Jesus, that you became sin. You took my sin upon yourself and it was nailed to the cross so that upon my confession... My sins are transferred onto you and I'm made white as snow. Do we still struggle with sin? Yes. But when the Lord looks at us, when we're in Christ, he sees Christ's righteousness in us. Christ's life in us through the resurrection and it's beautiful. And because of these truths, because of the truths we've looked at in the scriptures this morning, maybe we can Worship Him and sing lines like this. Lord, I come. Remember, Lord, I look to You. Lord, I come. I confess my sin to You. And then we rely on these truths that we've read in the Scriptures. Where sin runs deep, Your grace is more. Jesus, You're my hope and stay. Not my self-help efforts. You're my hope and stay. And then I love this one. It'll be in the second song that we sing. Stronger than darkness. New every morning. Our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. Let's go to him in prayer. And while we spent some 
moments earlier in confession. Maybe we spend some moments now in celebration and recognition of the hope there is in Him. Our hope in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus, our hope, our stay is not in ourselves. When we find ourselves in sin and in struggle, we don't look to ourselves. By your Spirit, may we turn our eyes to you and you alone. May we recognize, Jesus, that as we confess, as we lean on your finished work, our sins are thrown into the depths of the sea of forgetfulness. How beautiful that is. And I pray, Lord, that in our time this morning and even in the coming moments, that you would do something powerful in us, that we would trust the forgiveness of sins that you offer. If we answered earlier, Jesus, I'm not sure that you can forgive sin like mine. As if somehow our sin is completely worse and completely unique than anyone on the planet and yet we are all in the same boat together and we can all confess together while our sins are many. Lord, your mercy is more. And I pray that in these moments here, Lord, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would remind us as believers of your presence within us, that you would remind us of the hope there is, Jesus, in the cross and your resurrection. As we take communion, Lord, would you allow us to celebrate together, to receive afresh the forgiveness of sin. Lord, we thank you for your steadfast love that models for us what love even looks like. Lord, based on your steadfast love, we tell you we do love you. We do trust you by your spirit. We pray these things in your name alone. Amen. We're going to close in a couple of songs. Communion will be in the back. Encourage you guys, if you're believers in Christ, to go back and take the bread and the cup and bring that back to your chair and eat and drink as you're ready, all while we sing these truths together. Let's stand.